listeners, and welcome to the Downright Upright Show, the place to go to hear out loud and proud what Minnesotans are thinking. And I am your host, Philip Anthony, and I hope you're all doing fantabulous. And fantabulous, by the way, is a word that I made up. It's fantastic, fabulous, put together, twice as nice. It saves time. It's brilliant. (laughs) Thank you. My special guest today is Dr. Kevin Schwant, professor of musicology and ethnomusicology, writing, and has taught transnational perspectives on gender, race, sexuality, and class, and has also taught queer theory and a myriad of other subjects, too numerous to mention here. And full disclosure, um, Kevin, I, I read your uh, CV, and it just goes on and on and on, and I just want to thank you so much for being here today. I mean, it's an amazing uh, a CV, and I just want you to well, know that. Th- thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here. Thank oh, you. Thank you. And by the way, may I call you uh, Kevin? Is that Absolutely. Okay? okay. Oh, and also, we have to say, happy Pride Month. Happy Pride everyone. For everyone out there, and to you, Kevin, as well. And to you. Um, it's a very scary time in our community right now, so um, being proud of who you are is very essential, and um, that's why we're out there in great numbers, either protesting or having pride festivals, because we, we're not afraid to be ourselves anymore. That's right. Been there, done that. That's right. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Anyway, so the first question I usually ask my guests is foundational. Um, so uh, can you tell us where you were born, raised, went to school, uh, and anything else you want to add to that? Sure. Sure. I was born in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Um, I'm a child of the public school system of La Crosse, Wisconsin, which uh, is actually kind of like meaningful to me, both in that I'm a strong supporter of public education, but also... Uh, before I was born, my grandfather was the superintendent of that particular school district, and so it always felt kind of special to be um, where he had worked and, and be in a district that he had sort of helped to shape. Um, I went to college in, at uh, Luther College in Decorah, Iowa, <clears throat> and uh, dropped out uh, pretty uh, dramatically, dropped out of Luther College. I moved to the Twin Cities at that point. I worked as a preschool teacher, uh, first an aide and then an assistant preschool teacher for a few months uh, before uh, going back to school and graduating from Hamlin University with a degree in English and music. Then I moved to Massachusetts, where I studied music composition at the University of of Massachusetts and got a master's degree there, and then decided to come back to the Twin Cities uh, to do a doctorate uh, in musicology and ethnomusicology at the University of Minnesota. over the course of that time, I've had a lot of different um, opportunities and, and uh, work experiences, but primarily within the field of education, uh, uh, dealing with communication, culture, history, and particularly focused on ideas of identity, whether that is gender, sexuality, race, class, uh, what have you, but different ways that people identify and different ways that, that groups of people are categorized and, and sort of put in put into groups, and and how those groups can be, um, the the labeling of those groups can be on the one hand harmful, um, but on the other hand a source of empowerment and and activism. Mm-hmm. And and is that uh, LGBTQ plus IA and all that? Uh, that's 
in every time we, 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 we look at our community, we always include more people. If you notice, mm-hmm. that plus yes. came along recently. Because when I was growing up, it was LGBT. Right. Uh, and that was it. Right. right. So uh, w- w- uh, how do you feel about that, the, the additions of uh, all these other people who feel left out as well? Well, I think it's, uh, it's indicative of the, uh, the, the underlying philosophies of that sort of pull us all together, which is inclusion and yeah. is, is um, accepting and understanding and celebrating people's differences. Yeah. It's yeah. also important to note that within the LGBTQ plus uh, community, not all groups are treated in the same way. Um, and so solidarity can be difficult sometimes to to achieve. Um, I, I certainly hope uh, this, this Pride Month that there's a particular focus among uh, everyone in the community on the experiences of gender nonconforming and transgender people um, because uh, the vitriol seems to be coming in particular uh, toward them at the moment. It always has been sort of that way. Yeah. Uh, but right now, I think it's an especially scary time for them. And so it's really... As we celebrate Pride, I think it's, it's very important to understand that the, the oppression and the marginalization that we experience is not experienced in the same way by everyone. Mm-hmm. But we, we do have that solidarity, which I think is really important, and exactly. we need to demonstrate empathy for, for other people who are suffering through this. I couldn't agree more. And um, we're going to be talking a lot about that later in the show. Um, First, I want to talk about your, um, you know, what, what you've been teaching, publisher, publishing, and et cetera. Um, your resume, by the way, was so extensive. Uh, I guess we can start with a question with reference to your masters of okay. music composition. Uh, can you talk about the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock, if I'm pronouncing that great? Mm-hmm. That's, Wonderful. That's how I see it. I guess. <laughs> okay. Uh, song cycle on the poem by T. S. Eliot. T. S. Eliot, of course, for those out there who don't know, is a very famous poet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and why you were fascinated with that? Yeah, it, it's really complicated in in uh, academia. Um, you know, sometimes when you are trying to work on a creative project, uh, you you have to you have to do something that's meaningful to you. Um, but that also meets the requirements of the of the program, right? And that yeah. that that people are going to look at and and um, say, you know, that this is this is what the kind of work that we want coming out of this particular program. And so that project came out of me sort of trying to negotiate um, things that I might have wanted to do a little bit more, but still, uh, you know, meet the the requirements of the program. So. The Love Song of Jail for Prufrock, T.S. Eliot is an incredibly dense and difficult poet. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was able to kind of just pull out meanings um, in the poetry through the music, through the emphasis in the music, um, simply you know, to, to kind of engage in uh, claiming something as my own, I guess, claiming that expression and and having it mean something to me in particular, even though I maybe didn't identify with the poem itself that much. Mm-hmm. That's, and that was really my goal in my composition studies, was this, you know, how can music help us uh, understand other cultural products, um, other art, in a way that is supportive of us? And so the music is sort of my thing that I kind of put on top of the words, someone else's words, my music, um, 
you know, it creates a different work of art. Awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, prefacing the next question, I want you to know that I saw Rufus Wainwright in concert, mm-hmm. and what a voice on that man. Yes. My goodness yep. gracious. <laughs> I was, I, and I didn't, my husband, you know, full disclosure, is a big fan of mm-hmm. Rufus. I didn't know much about him. Um, I'm an older guy. <laughs> my husband's a few years younger mm-hmm. than I am. <laughs> but um, so um, watching him perform, um, and he did a song about the twice impeached ex-president, which was hilarious. Mm-hmm. I would recommend you all yeah. uh, go see him and uh, <laughs> listen to that. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> could you discuss your doctoral dissertation on Oh, What a World, Queer Masculinities, uh, the musical construction of a how would you say that? Reparative cultural historiography? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. It's yeah. overwhelming for, to me to pronounce. And the music of Rufus Wainwright. Sure. Uh, well, it, in, in my dissertation, I, I took the music of Rufus Wainwright um, as sort of an example of, well, just what I was talking about in, my, in, in the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Um, I, I believe that, that Rufus Wainwright takes existing cultural products and finds meaning in them that speak to a specific identity formation. And, and it's one that I identify with strongly. I, I became very interested in the construction of masculinity. What is masculinity? What is, how do we culturally define what makes a man, I guess? Um, <clears throat> because I think that has a lot of important implications for how, uh, you know, how marginalized people are, are treated. So, um, the idea of the reparative historiography, and those are obnoxious words, but ba- really what that means is in a culture that has uh, sometimes explicitly excluded you, or not even excluded you, but used you as the scape- scapegoat or the villain, or um, has you know, reviled you, how can you get sustenance out of the things that that culture produces? And I think that right. Rufus Wainwright has figured out ways to do that, um, to express his own identity through, um, you, you know, references to, to cultural ideas that just are explicitly on, you know, that are meant to exclude. Right, right. And masculinity um, is really a very wide spectrum, yeah, I think, in my it book. Because yeah. you hear people talking about it all the time, and there's even these right right wingers who talk about masculinity. I think um, one of the senators, Senator Hawley, wrote mm-hmm. a book about oh, yes, hyper masculinity, yes. and you know, mm-hmm. there's not enough masculinity. Right. But what's the definition? <laughs> right, smacking a woman around is that masculine, or being uh, homophobic is that you know? Right. And uh, can you briefly explain that word masculinity and why it's not? Uh, speci- there's no specific definition for it's, it. It's a troublesome yeah. word, um, and yet mm-hmm. it's one. It's one that gets you know uh, thrown around a lot and and used in uh, sometimes you know maybe destructive ways. But we've culturally constructed this binary between feminine and masculine, as if those are two sort of pre-existing concepts. Right. I don't believe that those things. I think those are things we have made up. Yes. Um, we've I do too. collectively made up, sort of, you know, over history and culture. Um, and so, you know, when growing up, I, uh, you know, I'm a cisgender uh, gay white man. Um, growing, g- growing up, um, 
my minority status was not visible. Uh, my uh, it was it was something that was internalized. Uh, if you knew me, I mean, I think I probably had some behaviors that might be coded as feminine when I was a child, and probably still do to this day. Um, uh, that might be coded by by feminine from somebody else. But if you were to just look at me, I looked like uh, the dominant culture, right? But I but I was feeling. Um, that I wasn't. I mean, I knew that I wasn't. Um, other people didn't necessarily know that. But the thing that was uh, really driving some of my mental health problems when I was a kid was I wasn't adequately male. Um, I wasn't adequately male to the expectations of the people around me. And so yes. that kind of, I think that's, that drove why, uh, you know, I think that drove some of my my research and my writing and my ideas later. Of just my personal experience of, well, what do you mean I'm not a man? Um, mm-hmm. uh, because, like I said, I am I am cisgender. Um, I identify as male, mm-hmm. uh, and yet there was something about me that wasn't enough male. No. Yep, I agree with you because I I walk the streets as with white skin and I'm yep. an older man, so the assumption is that uh you know, I'm, you know, I'm uh how would you say? I'm normal. Right. I guess that's the word I'm going to use which I hate well, that word. But um so people look at me and they I, they don't find me intimidating, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You you you're centered and and the perceived to be the, well, you, you, you use the word normal, and I think it's okay to use that word, not because it is normal, but because that's the way people describe it. Exactly, and, and, and I dress, you know, very you know, plain, mm-hmm. of a, of a yeah. plain chain. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wear jeans, T-shirts, you know, tennies. I'm not, you know, I don't wear my hair long. I don't wear makeup, right. you know. I'm kind of like, uh, how would you say, safe, yeah. Uh, and um, I have friends that that don't look that way, right. and they're not conforming to society's expectations mm-hmm. of what a man should, quote-unquote, man. That's why when I hate that, there was like a movie out recently, um, some right-wing person put out, a, what is a woman? Uh-huh. Have you heard about that movie? <laughs> I, I don't think I've heard about that particular thing, but I have an idea of where look that Look it up online. It's, it's really gross. <laughs> but women, you know, what is a woman, you know? I mean, when people have a problem answering it, it's because it's very complex. Right. The genitalia has nothing to do with it. Right. It's it's right. so you're a woman because maybe that's how you feel yourself, or uh, you know, um, I don't, I don't, I don't claim to know what a woman is. So that's why I think on the left we don't answer that question. Yeah, well, it's, and it's, it's tricky because we, I think we all have a sense of our own identity that we have personally, but it's also shaped by the ways that other people have you know, constructed their, these structures or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the way that those, those terms are used in, uh, you know, in everyday language, um, that does shape the way we perceive ourselves. And so you know, I've, I can say that there is no, um, there's no core to those concepts, and yet... Those concepts are still affecting me every day. Right, right. So just because something is socially constructed doesn't mean it doesn't doesn't impact the world. You know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so moving on to your again your extensive I keep calling it an extensive <laughs> resume. Um, you taught many different dimensions of writing. Mm-hmm. 
for your doctoral um, students as well, mm-hmm. right? And can you briefly discuss how writing support and instruction is so vital for students? And maybe you could throw in a few secrets for our listeners. Okay. Maybe to, little tips. Sure, sure. I, you know, in my career, a, a big part of my career has been uh, working in the field of writing. Even though my background is in music, uh, my background really is writing about music. That's really what musicology is to a large extent. Um, and writing is, uh, you know, it's a way. It's a, it's self-expression, but I also really believe it's a a way of enhancing your own self-awareness. When, when you are challenging yourself to put the ideas in your head on paper, um, and there are various different ways that you might do that on paper. There are many different ways to say the same thing. But the, the choices that you make and how you say it um, has to do with how you see the world, how you see yourself, how you see the, the subject that you're writing about. Writing is thinking. Writing is not just expression. It's thinking. And so, um, you know, I found that the more empowered a student or um, I, I also do freelance consulting um, with, often with doctoral students um, who just need a coach, um, I often find that the more empowered they feel just in their writing, the more empowered they feel to actually come up with interesting ideas, you know, about their, their subject matter. Of course. If if you feel confident that you can convey the thing that's happening in your brain, you feel more confident going out there and putting more things in your brain. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and you've submitted many articles as well and uh, works for publications. Um, again, too numerous to mention. Um, however, one publication that is apropos of Pride Month is, quote, The Erotics of an Oil Drum... Queer core, gay macho, and defiant sexuality of extra fancy cinnamon. Mm-hmm. Cinnamon or cinnamon? Cinnamon. Yeah. A cinnamon. In 2009 is when yeah. you. It's been a while. It's been a while, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just found the, the title just crazy fascinating. Um, could you give us a brief synopsis of what this is about, about this publication sure. is about? Sure. Yeah, well, and the, the the title of it is, you know, there's a little, it's meant to have a little shock value in it. Yeah, know. it does, um, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. You know, you have to get attention sometimes. Uh, of but, course. It, yeah. But really, it, uh, that that came out of, again, my thinking about the concept of masculinity, what does that mean? Um, Extra Fancy was a band that uh, was sort of an alternative band in the 90s, um, kind of, some might call it post-punk or, or something like that in terms of, of genre. Um, but what was, what was really interesting about the band was that the lead singer was uh, openly gay and presented uh, in a very, very aggressive, uh, almost, you know, skinhead kind hyper-masculine. of... You know, like hyper, yeah. Hyper-masculine, like really uh, aggressive... Um, an aggressive uh, portrayal of of his masculinity, or that, I mean, he's very clearly playing with the idea of masculinity. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and the the songs were explicitly about uh, homosexuality. Um, were about positive or negative? Well, po- positive. Okay, good. Um, but also violent in a in a way of so there there are songs oh. that are about gay bashers. And in the song, um, he fights back. 
and you know, Good. and so, well, I mean, you know, maybe not fighting. I, I no, wouldn't, I I, mean, I wouldn't yeah. advise the. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, uh, uh, the, the the stories, but but it's really ex- it's explicit, and it was at a time when. Um, uh, you know, I think the dominant narrative. This is even before uh, the notion of marriage equality was really the forefront of, you know, at least for cisgender right, it was the 90s, gay people. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. where I think the interest was more in, but the focus was more on uh, physical harm and and hate crime and and things like that. And here you had this this album that's about a you know a gay man fighting back. Physically, in in a lot of cases, and mm-hmm. so um, I was intrigued by that because it was um, it, he was clearly playing with those tropes of gender, those tropes of the macho man kind of thing, and flipping it a little bit. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, using the well, using a musical genre that hadn't always been perceived as that open to homosexuality using that genre to express this defiant, angry rejection of, of homophobia was really interesting to me. Yeah, I, it sounds interesting. I mean, it kind of sounds like the flip side of, of Prince, because Prince right. was very feminine. Yeah. If you saw yeah. him, he was like this big, you know, high heels, makeup, long hair, and the whole deal. But he sang about heterosexual, uh, masculine... Um, uh, uh, you know, ideas of how to pick up a woman and be, I'm going to make love to you. And, mm-hmm, yep. and, you know, all this very heteronormative stuff. But he, if you looked at him, you'd be like, are you kidding me? Right. <laughs> you no. Know? Right. So it's, yeah. I mean, I get it. Yeah. It's, it's the, those, those markers of gender are really um, an interesting way for, for artists of all kinds to sort of play around with things and subvert expectations. Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Um, you have also participated in presentations and workshops over the years. Now, Lady Gaga and Queer Politics was one that caught my mm-hmm. eye. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, Lady sure. Gaga? Okay, everybody loves Lady Gaga. Yeah. I mean, she was. she's like the Madonna of the newer generation. The, I guess sure. there's a newer one now. I mean, yeah, I think, I think Gaga's so. kind of old now, I yep. guess, right? Yep, doing different things. Yep. Yeah, because Streisand was like even before Madonna, and then before that was Judy Garland, because, you know, during Stonewall, the reason the whole thing mm-hmm. was started, they, when Garland died, everybody, all these gay men were just so depressed and upset. Right. And then they couldn't take the abuse anymore, and they they fought yeah, back. Yeah. But uh, so you've had our our uh, gay queens, I guess I call them. You know, the women right. that we look up to that had our back over the years. So um, so what's the connection you think between Gaga and the LGBTQ community? Well, I, I think she's made that pretty explicit in, in a lot of ways by by simply being an advocate and being a you know an, an activist. Right. Um, and the songs, and of, and of course some of the songs are quite explicit about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but even even when she's not being explicit about that, um, there is there's a quality to the particular type of camp that she's engaged in. Or you know I'm not sure that she does it. I haven't been keeping up with her career too much lately. But you know at the time. Um, you know, it was this over-the-top, campy performance that spoke, I think, to uh, the role of camp in queer life. 
Um, and, yes. the, and that's and I, you know that that's not uh, just that's not just gay men. And I think it's also you know in, also Judy Garland and Stonewall. It wasn't just about gay men. It was you know being being led by um, transgender people and and and, and drag queens. You're and, right. I did left that out. Yes. Um, sorry. Well, right, but it, but you know that, that that's the, the the narrative that we have. I think it really is that there is a an affection for this sort of central figure um, who who represents. Um, well, like, Judy Garland, for example, like part of it was the fact that everyone knew she was struggling so much, and she just kept going. It just seemed like she kept going, and somehow that connects. There's a sort of a metaphor for. Um, you know all of the mental abuse and the and hardship that 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 uh, people in the LGBTQ plus community have to deal with, and yet we keep we keep moving forward. I think that's part of it. But that diva worship um, for Lady Gaga is interesting to me because you know she calls her fans the mo- monsters and the you know all all of that sort of stuff, which is she's explicitly presenting herself as a spokesperson for the outcasts. The people who have been left aside or rejected, mm-hmm. um, and so I, th- I think that's a big part of her yeah. her appeal. Yes, and Madonna, I think was a, it was a different uh, phenomena because mm-hmm. she uh, came of age during the uh, Reagan administration when everything yeah. was starting to move yeah. way to the right, yeah. and you know everybody was getting all you know. Uh, I don't. I don't like to say the word religious, but you know what I mean. I mean, uh, uh, right wing Christianish, if that's sure. a word. Yeah. And um, so she decided that she was going to be out there. You know, she. You remember, like the the, the big famous uh, uh, MTV awards when she wore the wedding dress and she was humping the uh, the veil mm-hmm. and she's rolling on the mm-hmm. floor. You can see her panties, and everybody said after that performance that that was the end of her career right guess what <laughs> right. it wasn't right she they they admired her the gay community admired her for that mm-hmm. said good for you i mean you're yeah. expressing yourself yeah you're not you know you know playing in miss innocence you know and and that's how her uh, fame started growing from there yeah and well and that's that's a, you know one of the great powers of a of a, an artist is that they are able to sort of represent publicly and loudly, uh, you know, the the inner feelings of of their fans in a certain way, or the inner experience of their fans. And and you're right, you know, Madonna comes from a is is emerging from a, a culture that I think, to a certain extent, had been stifled or was becoming more rigid. Or I'm not quite sure exactly how what the right words yeah, are. Yeah, I for can't that. think of the right word either. Um, and and like it is good. Like like you said, it, yeah. she she was just I'm I'm gonna do my thing and exactly and and you can do that if you have a certain amount of power. You can project an image like that that you know I couldn't do. And so yeah, I think that's part of the power of yeah. And the of more celebrity. famous she got, the yep. more the more out there she got. You right. know, like she she did that video when she was kissing that saint mm-hmm. yes. uh, yep. on the lips, and then she did another one. You remember the video for Erotica? Yep. Jeez, that she yep. did a book, a sex book. I mean, mm-hmm. she just did a lot of things that pushed the envelope. But she wanted to express herself. She felt that her music was the way to do it. And gay people saw that. Not not that gay people are sexual, because I hate 
to sexualize right. the gay of community. Of course. But she made it okay to be who you are. And I right. think that's what the gay community related to. They they looked at her and said, Hey, she's being herself. We are we want to be ourselves yeah. too. Well and there's power yeah. in, in in shocking the people who are harming you too. So I exactly. think Exactly. Yeah. I remember the first time <laughs> I'm older than you so I can remember when uh, I, the first time I saw two guys holding mm-hmm. hands walking down mm-hmm. the street in Greenwich Village in New York when I was a kid, how I was like, oh, mommy, there's two guys <laughs> holding hands. She goes, yeah, they, they're, they're together. My mom was more progressive than most moms, so yeah, I was lucky. I, it sounds like it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She just said, no, they're just together. And, you know, she didn't explain. She didn't go into the sex of it. Or, of course. You know, just yeah. like the, the right wing is like, you know, they're teaching sex, you know, Florida. They're teaching sex to our children. No, they're not. Right. No, they're not. Right. They, they just want you to know there are gay families. There's two, that children have two dads. Children have two moms. Children have one mom. Children have one dad. Yeah. I mean... There's a myriad of ways you can have a family, and that's all it's about. And um, anyway, yeah, it's I'm, just, I'm, just about seeing someone's humanity. Exactly. Um, also, through my leg legwork, I found out that you are a freelance DJ, mm-hmm. and so was I. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I was a DJ way, way, way back in the prehistoric age when we spun vinyl. And you know what vinyl is? It's I'm, that, I'm familiar. Those discs with the hole in the middle. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm familiar with those. But I'm just kidding. You're, you're not that super young that you would know what that is. Although, I've, I've seen a record. Yeah. Although people have told me they didn't know what a record was. So yeah. I'm yeah. just letting you know that. <laughs> um, so what music of that era would you say resonates today and you still play at clubs? And why do you think it's still popular? So, for example... Um, I'm going to give you an example of what I mean by this question. So there was a song. It was by uh, Gloria Gaynor. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I'm going to say? Not not the one you think. The mm-hmm. other one. Uh, it's called "I Am What I Am." Yep. It was a, a disco song, a dance song, um, and the words were about "Be yourself." I am what I am, and you know, you love yourself. Basically, it was a very strong message. And for years at, at gay pride events and uh, you know gay festivals and all that, the song was like the anthem for the right. for older gay men at that time. Mm-hmm. What about now? What would you say now? That that would be if if I were playing at a, at a gay bar, I would probably play that song. You still, do still? Yeah. Wow, yeah, great! I think because some of that um, some of that music still still resonates um, really strongly and. We're fortunate enough now um, to have um, a sort of a, a canon of of gay anthems, I guess, or or music and, and figures who have you know historically been associated with or supportive of the gay community, and those things are recognizable. Disco, um, as a you know as a genre, emerged before it was vilified and and you know taken down. Uh, uh, it, you know that em- that emerged as an expression of marginalized people, and um, exactly marginalized people having fun and experiencing their bodies. You know, you're supposed to dance. It was you're supposed the, to move around. Yes, it was the it was the um, coming together of the African American community and the gay community right. because. African Americans were also being, uh, mm-hmm. and still to this day, yep. being uh, marginalized as well as the LGBTQ community, yep. and. 
it was a music that united both of us together. That's right. I mean, you went to gay clubs. You, you would, it would be uncommon to see a, you know, a lot of African-Americans mm-hmm. in the clubs dancing with us and having a good time. And a lot of the expressions that gay men were using were from the African-American community. Right. Um, there was a very strong bond at that time. And, and that was threatening to the, the white community as a whole, the, yes. the non-allied community, because they said, oh, no, we can't have this. So they had a uh, disco record burnings in, in yep. a, a lot of places because right. they didn't, they, they, you know, rock and roll was, you know, the only way to go, and and disco music had yes. had to be buried. And, and 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 when they were going through that that process of you know just vilifying and 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 well and, and burning the disco records and things, um, I think that the that sort of the dominant narrative just sort of said that we're having fun and disco is stupid and this is just, you know, but what they were really doing was was Symbolically destroying a community, you know, and, and two communities. Yeah. yeah. Well, and yeah. and the connections between those communities, and and more and more. I mean, it, uh, certainly uh, Latino uh, community also very much uh, connected to disco at the at that time. Oh, sure, yeah. Um, and also white allies, of uh, course, heterosexual allies that yeah. were. Um, Hanging out with, you know, we used to call, there was an expression, I don't know if they use it anymore, so I'm even afraid to say it, but it was, uh, from my generation, the gay men used to call fag hags, mm-hmm. remember that? Yep. Women that, straight women usually, who hung around with gay men, right. and they were super allies, and they would, they'd have your back big time, mm-hmm. and were dancing around the clubs with us and, and enjoying the music, and uh, 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 yeah, and, and, and now today we just call them allies. It, right. Whether it's a man yes. or a woman, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, oh, I was going to ask you another question about you know music and uh, DJing. Okay. Why aren't there any songs, popular songs today about trans? Like we have the we had the gay songs. Remember, we had uh, uh, "I Am What I Am." We had uh, you know what was the one by Gaga? Um, Born this way. Born this way. Mm-hmm. There were, we had a few anthems for for our yes. community yeah. do they have one or do, do you know of any or why uh, not you know i well i think that i think the why not um it has to do with the perceived danger of of uh being out and open you know? and it, I, I, should, yeah. I said perceived danger it's not perceived it's real danger um <clears throat> right and uh, and I, I think that's what it is. I, I think that will. I think that's coming. And there probably are things that I'm just not thinking of right now um, that I could point to. Uh, you know, I. But there, there are. Well, in the academic realm, there are people who are, you know, actively working on, uh, you know, understanding the role of musical genre or or whatever within the the trans community. Um, uh, there, there has been some recent. Uh, you know some some nice uh, research recently about that, um, and you know, f- for example, a friend of mine has a, has a book about uh, queer country, um, country music, which is you know it's an interesting concept to to think about uh, because we again that's a genre that we don't necessarily associate with being very queer. Not at all. Um, is it a thing? It is a thing. Yeah. Oh, ab- wow. Absolutely. So I don't know. Well, we have to see. Music is such a fluid. Um, right, uh, concept and and, and industry um, that I I think that there is uh, 
I, you know, those things will come along. Unfortunately, the trans community is still, for a, a lot of cisgender gay people, still is perceived as a threat to their advancements. Um, and that is a, that's something that is very bothersome to me um, because I hope that we aren't going to think that we have marriage equality and therefore we are done. Uh, you Good know, point, yeah. Um, or that, done. or that, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm married, um, but I certainly don't, you know, I'm legally married and I couldn't have been years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, I don't want to just pull up the ladder behind me. You know, like I've, I've got that, that's a really big deal to me, but a good point. just because I've, because I feel like I have a little bit more access to society and to culture and to the institutions of the culture, um, just because I feel like I have more access to it doesn't mean that I'm done. Yes, and you know, it, 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 you you corrected me before about Stonewall that mm-hmm. there were trans people there. Yes, they had our back way back. Absolutely. Before uh, uh, there was such a you know it was such a big thing now you know anti-trans laws being passed around the country. They were they were there for us. Yes. And um, by pulling the ladder up, like you said. That would be a slap in the face to all the trans people who were there for the gay community back in the day. I think we should embrace them and be have their back. And because now, you know, back in the day, you know, being gay was like the no-no. It was right. like you know, uh, you know, we were being attacked on TV and periodicals, everything. And once we gained popularity with people, you know, once people got to know gay people and became familiar with gay people, it started to, you know, dwindle. And now marriage even passed, which I never thought would ever happen. And now it's their turn. Now it's the trans people's turn to get the bashing. And uh, we need to not pull the ladder up. We need to help them out, show them that they're human as well. And they have uh, every right to exist in this country, just like everybody else. And so thank you for mentioning that because I, I, I for some reason I had a brain fart about trans people being around during Stonewall. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway, uh, um, the final question before we get to the shift. If I were to look at your music collection, uh, whether on physical media or Spotify, whatever you use, uh, what songs, artists, and genres of music would I probably see? Mm-hmm. Well, um, if if you were to look at my Spotify, it is a real hodgepodge um, because I, I also you know I use it to collect music for classes and things like that. So uh-huh. Uh-huh. so you're gonna get you know J S Bach on there, and you're gonna get uh, classical stuff, um, right? Or organized in playlists according to what kind of a lesson I might be doing. Um, the things that I listen to um, for fun um, tend to be just kind of poppy stuff. Um, newer older in between it's it, whatever whatever might just pop up i mean as a musicologist it's um i don't i want to say this in a way that it, uh well it, music being a musicologist requires you to like everything and also not necessarily like everything um because you just you sort of you're trained to just kind of have this analytical sort of reaction to to music and so actually when i'm working if i'm working on something if i'm writing something or editing something sometimes i will listen to podcasts or talk radio or whatever you know npr do you ever hear of the downright upright yes show? And that is that is in fact one that's on the rotation uh, <laughs> great um and partly it's because i 
rather than listening to musical sounds, hearing voices is a little bit more soothing for me. And so I don't know. It's a it's a weird thing. Maybe that's just in my brain. Yeah. Well, you know, I I, I grew up again. I'm I'm older, and I always gravitated for some reason. Even back then, I knew I was an activist. I don't know, mm-hmm. but I always gravitated towards songs that. Um, were um, motivated by helping the communities that are marginalized. Mm-hmm. I always, even when I, w- I first heard James Brown sing "I'm Black and I'm Proud," mm-hmm. I said, "Good for you, God, you know, buddy. You yeah. know, I am woman. Hear me roar, Helen mm-hmm. Reddy. I mean, because women were being abused in those days. Yeah. They would, they couldn't even get credit cards until the '70s. Right. Um, then you had um, environmental songs like." Uh, anti-war songs, I should say, like um, What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. There were a lot of those kind of songs. Growing. Oh, there was Cherokee People yeah. uh, by the um, Raiders, song uh, that was against uh, white people dominating Native American communities, uh, et, cetera, et cetera. There were so many, but those are the songs I tend to gravitate sure. to. Isn't sure. that crazy for a kid? <laughs> well, no, I, I, don't, I don't think so, because first of all, those are all really good songs, too. So, I mean, well, the maybe, messages maybe, you're, maybe yeah. you're driven to that um, mm-hmm. as well. I, you know, for me, I think it, when I was younger, I was obsessed with Tori Amos. I, still, I probably am still obsessed with Tori Amos, and partly it was because she played the piano, I played the piano, um, but also her music was so opaque and her lyrics were so strange and... Um, seemingly stream of consciousness that that's it that's how i felt you know as a teenager i felt like i'm seeing the world world in some very strange way that nobody else can see it right and it seems like she does too and so i felt really connected to that so yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe less i, I w- was attracted less to the explicit protest songs and more to the weird i was oh, okay. i was, dr- I was drawn right. to the weirdness yeah yeah, yeah. well now we've come to the part of the show I like to call the shift, right. where I shift the questioning away from your multifaceted career and to your opinions on current events. And don't forget, the shift has an F in it, so you have to say shift, otherwise we have problems. I'm going I'm to do, do my yeah, best. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. As you may already know, the twice-impeached former president... Mm-hmm. Now remember, this is all opinion now, so this uh-huh. is, feel free to say what you feel. Uh, was indicted on multiple counts in the special counsel's documents case. Do you think this news will finally end his scourge on this country, or do you think he will gain more sympathy and increase in popularity? Hmm. What do you think on, uh, as far as that? I, I think, unfortunately, there will be a surge, um, and possibly, I mean, you know, I'm concerned about violence. Uh, like we saw at the Capitol and, and things of that nature, mm-hmm. um, because you know, for the for the people who really truly support him, I don't, I don't think that they, I I don't think there's a real limit to where they'll go, and so that that frightens me. Um, I think you know he's well, he's going to go away eventually, uh, whether that's to prison or a different way, he's going to go away. My real concern is that uh, he. He created this permission structure for people to just be openly hateful and openly violent. Um, yes. And that, I don't think, is going away soon. Yeah. And so yeah. that's something where we just have to be really vigilant about. The I'm very interested in what comes from the indictment, but regardless of the outcome, we got to 
we're going to have to do something. <laughs> um, if, if he's in prison, his ideas and his way of behaving isn't in prison with him. It's out here with us. Yeah, because the charges he's, he's uh, being charged with are multiple years of prison. Yes. I mean, unless, um, you know, President Biden wants to, you know, uh, you know, forgo that and say, you know, he's, he was a president, so I'm, you know, we're going to pardon him. And uh, I, I hope not. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, because President Biden doesn't come off to me as uh, in the same way that Trump does. I mean, he's uh, Trump is always into, like he said, I'm your retribution. Yes. Yeah. Biden very, is very not scary. into into that at all. No. You know, and so it'd be interesting to see because he can't, I don't think even if he won the presidency and he was in jail would he be able to be president in jail what they take him out I don't, I don't I don't know I guess that would be a <laughs> we'd, we'd have to figure that out I I always thought of that I said geez could you imagine like he's convicted he goes to jail yeah. and, he, and he still runs and he wins god yeah that would be the most insane. What would the world think of us at that I, point? Well, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. My, my mental health requires me to not think about that particular possibility too much. I know. But but it is. But it's a very, it's a very real problem because even though I mean I I think people still write him off as a clown and frankly I kind of think he's a clown as well. But I think he's worse the, than a clown though. The, the effect though, if if the if the if the subject of your clowning is hateful, violent, miserable stuff, then that's really scary because that's not yes. that's not something to play around yes. with. Yes, and a friend of mine, um, you know, to, to piggyback on what you're saying about clowns, um, when he refers to Trump, he doesn't refer to him as a clown. He refers, do you ever see the movie It? Mm-hmm, yep. That's a clown, Yeah. but not your typical clown. Right. He's it's a, a very yeah. evil clown, Yeah. and that's probably a better way to describe yeah. him. Oh, uh, yes. I'm, he's definitely, definitely evil. Um, Absolutely. Yes. We, you know, I think some people just don't take him, still don't take him seriously, but we better take him seriously now because there, there are real consequences to the yeah, things yeah, that yeah. he says and does. And don't forget baby Trump. You know, DeSantis is not yeah. exactly, you know, uh, you know. Well, he's he, pure as the driven snow. I, you know. I find him just ter- as terrifying. Yeah, yeah, terrifying as well. Yeah. Uh, with the addition of Chris Christie, Mike mm-hmm. Pence, and so many other candidates vying for the Republican nomination, do you think that such a large field of candidates will solidify a win for you know who? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Voldemort. Or do you think another candidate will emerge and steal the Republican nomination? And to, uh, to put a little uh, addendum to this question, last night um, Chris Christie had a, a town hall on, on uh, uh, CNN, and he was the only candidate that's ever spoken in public, you know, that's running on that on the Republican side, who actually demolished him, like yeah. put him. Yeah. Called him every name in the book. He's this. He's that. You know, he can't do this. He can't do. He's he's not trustworthy. He's a liar. He's, a, and I commend him for that. Yeah. To be the one to distinguish himself from the rest of the crew. Yeah. I I don't know what's going on in Chris Christie's head, but I I think part of it is, uh, well, I don't, maybe he's having fun. I don't know. But he but he is a he's a person who I, seems like he's able to say 
the things that really probably need to be said about Donald Trump. Not that I like Chris Christie very much, but I, I, do, I guess I do appreciate someone actually calling Trump out on yeah. things. And he's not as dangerous as Donald Trump in my mind, but I wouldn't, again, yeah. I would never vote for him. But yeah. Uh, yeah. if I if you had to put a gun to my head and said you had to vote for a Republican candidate, that was yeah. probably he'd he'd probably be the only one I could think of that I would vote for because I mean, cause he's not against uh, uh, democracy, you know. Right. right. He's uh, uh, he understands how Donald even Pence. I mean, they tried to kill him for God's sake, and he's still kissing Trump's butt. Yeah. I mean, it just bothers me. It just yeah. I can't stand him. I really I don't like a person who doesn't defend themselves. You know, oh. like like the same thing with um, Ted Cruz. He called his wife ugly. Said his father killed uh, JFK, but yet he's kissing his butt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's crazy. Yes, I, I just in my in my experience, the biggest homophobes are the weakest people, yeah, and, yeah. I, and I think that Mike Pence just is not a very strong person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I give Christie credit. I mean, I do. At least he's 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 not afraid to say what he feels, and he's yeah. he's not backing down. So good for you. Um, for the last couple of questions. Uh, let's talk about the right-wing assault on the LGBTQ community because it's Pride Month and we, yes. we, we have to prop ourselves up and talk about our issues now. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Supreme Court getting ready to come down with a decision on the Colorado Christian web designer case? And do you think the court will side with the web designer or with the LGBTQ community at large? What do you think? Well, uh, the... That particular case, what little I know of it, is seems so absurd that I'd like to say that the Supreme Court would side with the LGBTQ community. You would think, uh, but this particular court, I, I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. So that is really that's also really frightening because uh, I we in this country we have already dealt with the idea of of if you have if you're offering a you know some public service if you're offering a, an a, public accommodation you have to be that has to be accessible to all people and if yep. this web designer is preemptively but it doesn't seem like there's any real actual motive to this um she wasn't sued so right so um mm-hmm. uh, so I, i'm not really sure what's what's driving that for her but uh that would be a pretty terrible precedent because the same thing with the cake guy you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, come on, dude. Bake the cake, and if you don't want to put the little statue on the top of two guys, then you go, yeah. you know what, I can't do that. But here's the cake, Yes. and go get the yeah. thing somewhere else. I mean, you could do, there's so many ways to navigate that. But he had to make it, you know, about religion. Right. Which it's not. It's right. not. You're, you're a baker. You're not a straight baker. Mm-hmm. You don't bake cakes for straight people. You have to bake cakes for everybody, in, right? In, in my consulting business, my editing and, and writing consulting business, I sometimes have clients I fundamentally disagree with, and I'm helping them get ideas that I don't necessarily like very well mm-hmm. into shape to you know for public consumption. Right. I do that because I I can differentiate between my business and my. Um, and my personal beliefs. That doesn't mean that you want to run a business that violates your personal beliefs, but I can offer a service to someone I disagree with mm-hmm. um, without violating my ethics. And I, and I just I have a hard time understanding why 
what what is the issue? Why can't you provide the service that you are being paid for mm-hmm. without going down the road about someone else's personal life or someone else's po- politics or or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, but why not, uh, um, Kevin? Why couldn't they just say, "I'll give this account to one of my um, contract employees or something"? You know, sure. rather than just saying, no, I'm, not, I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. But see, the thing is, she's not even being sued. So right. this is just preemptive, right. and she's trying to be a – I don't want to say the word. But she just, she's trying to make a mountain out of a molehill. It didn't even happen. Right. You know, so – Or maybe just trying to make a point or trying to – or just trying to be hateful. Yeah, 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 exactly. But hate is a very strong emotion. Yes, a lot it of is. people don't realize that love is strong. Yes, but hate can be even stronger yeah. sometimes. Yeah, and uh, it, it's it's scary. Mm-hmm. Let's just put it that way. So, what are your thoughts about the uh, human rights campaign uh, declaring a national state of emergency for the LGBTQ community and travel advisory to Florida? And what are some of your poten- what are the some of the potential dangers you see uh, uh, to our community coming from uh, the right? Well, um, I think we probably are in a state of emergency um, uh, in in our community. Um, <clears throat> and I, I well, like I said earlier, I'm I'm particularly concerned right now about violence, um, yes. you know, direct hate crimes. I'm also, as an educator, I'm also very concerned about the health and safety of young people. I'm very concerned about the the rates of depression and suicide. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm not sure that people on the right fully understand, or maybe they just don't care, about the psychological damage of, you know, Ron DeSantis saying we're not going to talk about your family or, or whatever in in school i don't i'm either they either they don't understand the psychological damage that does to a child they don't care about it um or they're or they want to damage psychologically or people. all of the above maybe it's all of them i don't know yeah i don't know but it is really it is really terrible but it's also part of the playbook throughout history people in power in order to maintain their power they have to uh, they have to have someone to attack yeah, you have to have a fall guy. You have to because uh, that gets butts to the polls and gets you know gets you uh, you know people who will support you. And you know, I mean, I hate to go back to the Nazis, but you know, with with Adolf Hitler, I mean, he, he demonized a lot right. of different groups, and uh, that was his way of uh, uh, getting getting power. And I'm afraid you're you're right. I, it's a scary time because we don't we don't know what. What the majority of Americans are going to do right now because the country's getting very bizarre as far as uh, yeah. look, I am not black, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not. I'm a white guy. Mm-hmm. But I don't like people who say, no, you can't teach AP uh, his, uh, African American studies yeah. in a school. To me, that's discrimination. Boom. It is. Voting rights laws, you know, the way they, dem- uh, mm-hmm. they gerrymander these states so that black people can't vote. I mean, I'm not black, but I, 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 I'm a human being, and I see injustice, and I don't think it's fair. Right. And I, you know, I hope the rest of the country can get, get on that boat, on the love train, I like to call it, where everyone looks at each other as a human being. And I know I, and I always say this on my show, I, people think I'm Pollyanna, you know. <laughs> I'm always like, oh, you know, we are the world, we are the children, you know. But 
I really truly feel that way. Yeah. I, I do. I think if we start, if that starts rubbing off on people, maybe we can get somewhere. I think so. I think yeah. so. Well, there is, I think there's something to be said for, um, you know, trying to expose more people to pride events and things, you know, things like that. And to realize, you know, pride needs to be a reflection of the history and the struggle. Pride also is joyful. And I think, the the joy that the queer community can have at times, I think, is that that can bring people in, and it, and we know that when you, if you actually know people, <laughs> and you're friends with people, it's much harder to discriminate against them or or to be hateful toward them. You know, all of the these uh, transphobic uh, politicians, like how many out trans people are they aware of? I mean, I know that they know trans people. How many are they aware of? And because it again it's just it's difficult to do something that's hateful you know when you've had coffee with someone and right. so but it, so I, I i don't know i don't think i'm pollyanna ish but i actually do i i agree with you like there's just it it's actually truly not that difficult to be kind yeah exactly and 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 t- I'm going to piggyback on your on on what you just said about trans people, because uh, the next question is, I'm going to I'm going to be stating some um, statements and and theories made by the right against trans people, okay. and then we're going to talk about that after you know. Okay. So attacks from the hard right on the trans community are growing with each day that passes. So, for example, this is what they talk about. I'm just going to give you a, a few there's many more but yeah. i'm going to give you a couple of things they say okay to give you an idea of what they're yeah. saying for example biological men don't belong in women's sports that's one the dangers of giving hormones and possibly surgery to children and how it will decrease the future population of gays because the children are just gay and they don't need to change their gender they're just simply gay people um, young gay people, <laughs> teachers telling children they can change their gender, and because of that, just because of them saying that, uh, the children then are feeling they are trans, just from the fact the teacher said that. Uh, forcing gender pronouns down everybody's throat. Why do you have to force? You know, and I always use that example with the gender pronouns. Like if you say, "Hi, my name is John," I say, "Okay, hi, Bill." Right, right. You don't want to be right. called Bill. Right. You said your name's John. And if their pronoun is whatever they say it is, hey, what's skin off yep. your nose to call them what they're, pro- you know, so things like that. Um, so, how can we and our allies stop the spread of this misinformation mm-hmm. that will lead to the increase in transphobia and possibly resulting in harm to our trans sisters and brothers? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, well, th- that's that's a big one. I think the uh, for, for me at at the core of all of these questions is uh, that there's a it's very arrogant to assume that your the way that you experience life and the way that you uh, perceive the world is the only way to experience life and perceive the world. So I don't know what it's like to be a transgender person because I'm not I. a transgender person. I don't need to know what it's like to be a transgender person too. Mm-hmm. in order to show them love and respect and to want them to live happy, fulfilled lives. I love you. 
See, so, I think you are – again, well, I, think, I think the two of us are Pollyanna because well, I, think we're, I think we're just saying what a human being would say, right. you know. I mean, let, let, uh, they're not bothering you. They're not – you know, and, and I hate that grooming term too. Right. That's, they use that a lot. I forgot yeah. even to bring that one yeah. up. Um, what do you think about like uh, some of those things that I mentioned and how do we stop that from, you know – Spreading, you know. Well, I, I mean, some of the some of the, those claims are just um, on their face stupid, ridiculous. And, yeah. and I think it's okay to say that's just stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because it's not an opinion. Um, mm-hmm. It is a statement that certain groups of people are not real people, mm-hmm. and that's not that's dumb. That's yeah, just yeah. dumb. Yeah, for so, example, the, the one that really hits me is the one about the gays, you know, right. that these trans kids are really gay. Right. And by you switching the, uh, uh, changing their gender, the, the population of gay men is going to decrease in the future. It would be like me telling you, you're really not gay, um, Kevin, you're really trans. Mm-hmm. So right. you should, even though you just... You just yep. want to have sex with uh, people of your own gender or your own sex. You should have a sex change operation. Right. You, 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 this is what you really need to do. Right. It sounds ridiculous. Right. It, it's an, it is ridiculous. And it's ridiculous Gen- because people- Gen- gender and sexuality are not are the same thing. Completely different. Thank you. Completely um, different. But you know, we our our culture really is very much based on creating binaries. You know, there's this or there's that, and mm-hmm. and. We're not great with gray area, and we're also not with, great with more than two categories. Mm-hmm. And so because of those categories, um, uh, sexuality was perceived to be man, woman. And that's the only way of conceiving of sexuality because mm-hmm. that is so ingrained in us. And, um, you know, with the great power of, of the LGBTQ plus community is that we are a direct threat to patriarchy i mean we're just a direct threat to that whole system um and that's why people react in this way they're they're afraid um that the system that they know is sort of crumbling around them what they don't seem to acknowledge is it doesn't affect them right in any way whatsoever (laughs) i know yeah well yeah yeah I mean, again, we're preaching to the choir yes, to each well, other right. here. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so before we close out the show, because we're getting, could you believe this passed by so quickly? Um, is there a topic I haven't mentioned that you would like to tell the listeners about, or any other thing you would like to convey? Well, I, I mean, I get, well, first of all, I just I would like to convey happy pride, and it, yeah. and it, even even though we've been talking about you know some dour subjects, it is okay to be happy. Yeah, um, and that that might actually be what I would want to leave on. And again, I, like I don't, I these are real problems, and we need to be very concerned about them. But one of the strong, you know, the greatest um, ways to fight back is to uh, look at the bigot in the face and say, "I'm happy." That drives them nuts. Uh, it makes them crazy. <laughs> exactly right. And and you're right. These were dour subjects. But again, we, the reason we bring them to light is because we want the uh, allies out there, people yes. that are not in our community, to understand how we are, how we're feeling. I mean, I'm not, like I said, I'm not a trans person, but I understand the the marginalization that they're going through and how they feel ostracized from mm-hmm. society, uh, just like I did when I was growing up as a gay boy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... 
Well, that, that's because you have empathy for others. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. guess th- there are some people who don't, and that's really a shame. Empathy is a very, very important uh, yeah. a, a feeling of mo- uh, an existence of, of humanity to me. I mean, I look at other people and I just see people. I don't care what color you are, what religion, whatever. If you're a good person, I love you, yeah. and I'll be, I'll have your back yep. for the rest of my life. Yeah. But anyway, um, unfortunately, we've come to the end okay. of the show. Thank you for being uh, my guest on the Downright Upright show, and happy Pride to you again. Happy um, Pride, and uh, also to your husband, who I oh, haven't, haven't met, but maybe one day I will. Yeah. Um, and I would personally like to thank you f- uh, for all you do on behalf of our community. Um, and for more information on Dr. Kevin Schwant, you can visit his website at calamuswriting.com. Is that right? That's right. And that's C-A-L-A-M-U-S-W-R-I-T-I-N-G.com or kevinschwant.substack.com, right? That's right. Am I right? Yep. And uh, to our listeners, thank you for spending time with us on the Downright Upright show. And again, thanks so much, Kevin. I really enjoyed this. Uh, maybe we could do this again sometime. Absolutely. I had a great time. It was fabulous. Thank you so much. And maybe I'll see you at Pride. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, everybody come to Pride. Yeah. <laughs> we have to show because uh, solidarity is so important in this day and age. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and this is your host, Philip Anthony, saying happy Pride to all and ciao for now. Mm-hmm.